So what did you want to be when you grew up? I know for some of you that, that that's a little bit longer to remember than others. Um, but I, I, for me, when I was a kid, I loved seeing the garbage truck arrive on our street. I just thought that was so cool. I was into big trucks, loud noises, and I just thought it'd be so cool to ride on the back of that thing. But about seven or eight years old in our town, I discovered that I did not want this job because they came rolling down the street as I was eating turkey and stuffing. I was like, I don't want to work on Thanksgiving. And then I was playing with my toys on Christmas morning. And I saw them roll down the street again. And I said, I don't want to work on Christmas morning. And so I gave up that job. And obviously, I went on a different path. A, a survey was done in 2019 by the Harris Company in conjunction with Lego. And they asked 3,000 kids ages 8 to 12 the same question. What do you want to be when you grew up? And they did not answer garbage man, like I did. They didn't answer teacher or astronaut or pro athlete. The number one answer of those kids just three years ago was, I want to be a vlogger or a YouTuber. And some of you are like, seriously, that's the number one thing kids want to be? It is. And, and, and there's a reason why. Kids growing up in our world today are watching people become famous for crazy and ridiculous things. Like this guy right here. This is Alex. Alex was a teenager in 2014, minding his own business, working a good first job at Target. And one day, while he was checking out another teenage girl, she was checking him out. And she pulled her phone out and snapped a, a secret picture of him, and she posted on her Twitter account with just the caption, Yo! There's about 16 O's at the end of that word, yo. And Alex started that day with 144 followers on Twitter. He and his buddies would exchange memes and jokes. But within a few days, Alex went from 144 followers to 500,000 followers. He became the number one trending topic on Twitter, Alex from Target. When he got invited on The Ellen Show, he went over 700,000 followers, all for looking a little bit like Justin Bieber. That basically was his claim to fame. He turned this into a career. He moved to L.A., and his life changed. He went Viral. Now, I know in the last couple of years that term has changed drastically, but we still use that term in our world today as we watch people become famous quickly for seemingly no reason. And what's interesting as you study the stories of people like Alex, what you find is attention comes quickly and it often leaves just as fast. See, this is the danger of living in a world where our number one desire is to be famous, is that the attention of a crowd is fickle. It can arrive very quickly, and it can leave just as fast. Which raises a question for me. What did Jesus do in response to the crowd? Because in the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, in his first year, in our terms, he went viral. There were tens of thousands of people who were following him around. We see in one moment that Jesus feeds 5,000 men along with the women and children with him, probably over 10,000, maybe 15,000 people. A crowd of people is waiting for him when he crosses over a lake. And he has this huge crowd that's looking to him with expectations. And what does he do? Well, we're going to answer that question today. Today, we're beginning a new series called Jesus 
according to Jesus. And the subtitle is, Who Does He Say That He Is? Because everybody has an opinion on Jesus. Some of that opinion has been formed by where they grew up or the house they grew up in. For some people, it's formed by a book they read or a documentary they watched. For some people, it's based upon personal experience. For some people, it's based upon just innuendo, rumor, things they've heard from others. But over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at Jesus' words and allow Him to define Him for Himself, which is always the best way to go. It's always best to allow a person to define themselves as opposed to just relying on the words of others. We're going to look at seven statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus himself says, this is who I am. And then we're going to allow him to define himself, and then we're going to figure out what to do with that. This is going to be our journey to Easter, because six weeks from today, we're going to gather in this place, and we're going to celebrate Easter. And I believe that there are people in your life, I see other people in my life, who need to know who Jesus is, according to himself. And so I'm going to ask you today to begin thinking and praying about this question. Who are you praying for and inviting to Easter? What we find is there's a couple times a year that people are more open to an invitation to church. That's Christmas and Easter. And I'd encourage you to begin thinking and praying for that person. We'll have invite cards in a couple weeks, but I'd encourage you now to begin getting ready that when Jesus presents you with an opportunity, you're ready to take it. Now, we're also going to give you a couple things to help take this series to the next level. When you leave today, we're going to give you a little card that has the logo of the series on it, and it's got a reading plan. On the back of it, it guides you through, starting tomorrow and concluding on Good Friday, a piece of the Gospel of John every day. All seven of these statements about who Jesus is are in the Gospel of John. And so we're going to invite you to read through the Gospel of John with us. None of these take longer than 10 or 15 minutes. Some of them take shorter than that. We're giving you Saturday and Sunday off because I've never read the Bible according to a plan and haven't followed behind. So you kind of have built-in catch-up days every weekend. And so we're going to encourage you as you leave today, everybody can take one of these home, and we're going to encourage you to read through John with us and be a part of this every day. If you're watching online, you can get a copy of this card by visiting prescottcornerstone.com resources and clicking on that green button in the middle of the page. But if you got a copy of the notes when you walked in, they look like this. Let's dive into this message, and here's the big idea. The big idea is this. In the areas where we've only found temporary satisfaction, Jesus comes to offer us eternal satisfaction. In the areas where we've allowed ourselves and found a sense of satisfaction and our needs or desires being met, but they've only lasted temporarily, Jesus comes and he offers us an eternal sense of satisfaction. Now, one of the things you mentioned on this card is that there is a way that you can take these readings to the next level by using a Bible study method called SOAP. And using this message today, I want to introduce you to this method as we look at the first statement of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to walk you through this acronym. It has nothing to do with how you wash your body, what body wash you use, what order you go in as you wash your body in the shower. But the first one of these, the first word is Scripture. S in SOAP stands for Scripture. So if you're taking notes, that goes in the first blank. And according to the SOAP method, the first thing you're going to do if you're going to study the Bible according to this method is you're going to read a passage. And our passage for today is John chapter 6, 
verses 35 through 51. If you know where that is in your Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, that's cool. You can open up your Bible to the index at the beginning. Look under the section New Testament, and you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And then John is the place you're looking. If you don't have a Bible, you can just watch the screens, and we're going to follow along together. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. Here's how John records the first I am statement of Jesus. He says, I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. And no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he's given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God, and everyone who's listened to and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the father except the one who is from God, he has seen the father. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus, we pray that you'd speak to us through your words and that we would define you and understand you, not from our perspective, but from yours. We pray that you'd speak to us as we study your word this morning, and I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, in the soap method... If you decide to use this, and I'm going to try to use this message to try to equip you to have this. And if you're like, Scott, I'm, I don't have time for that in this season, that's great. Just read the passage and store this away for later. You start with picking a passage and reading it. Then you pick a verse to focus on. We just read 17 verses. It's hard to study 17 verses if you don't have a whole lot of time. So this method encourages you to pick one verse to focus on. And so the verse we're going to focus on today is John 6:35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. If you do this method this week or this season with these readings, the final piece is to write the verse out by hand. And non-Christian researchers have shown us that when you write things out, something works differently in your brain than when you type it or you just read it. It sticks in your brain at a different level. And so if you're going to use this method, read the passage, pick a verse, and then write it out. Even if it's on your tablet or your iPad, there's something that happens in your brain where it will lock in in a different way. So that's S, Scripture. Two, O, is observation. Observation. 
So we're not just asking you, if you decide to engage this method, to just read Scripture. We're going to ask you to engage it and pay attention to what's happening. And you can do this in a number of ways by answering the question, what do I observe? When I read this passage, what do I observe? Now, I'm going to give you a number of options here. You don't have to do these every single time, but these might give you a place to start. One option is to identify repeated themes. In every relationship and every context, if you see something happening again and again and again, or somebody tells you something again and again and again, it's probably going to pay attention to it. So, if you're married and your spouse tells you something again and again and again, it would be prudent to pay attention to that. I'm not a marriage counselor, but I've learned some things the hard way. If you're a friend with somebody and they keep talking about this item that they really like, this thing that they want to have, and their birthday is coming up in two months, they're dropping hints, pay attention. The same thing happens in Scripture. When we see a repeated theme happening multiple times in a short context, or Jesus says the same thing over and over again, there's a reason to that. And what we see in this context in John 6, 35-51, is he talks about himself as bread again and again. In John 6, 32, 41, 50, and 58, he refers to himself as bread from heaven. He says, I am the bread from heaven. Now, obviously, we'll talk in a minute about metaphor, but he's not saying he's literally French bread or an Italian loaf or sourdough. But he's saying, I'm the bread from heaven. He says later in John 6, 33, I'm the bread of God. In John 6, 35, we read that one just a minute ago. And John 6, 48, he says, I am the bread of life. And then finally, in John 6, 51, he says, I am the living bread. Jesus is trying to get through a point to people. And a lot of us, honestly, it's not a new phenomenon that we have attention problems. Attention problems are are historic for humanity. But Jesus knows that if he wants people to hear him, he has to repeat himself. And so you often think when you're working with a child, okay, I have to repeat myself with a child. No, anybody you're working with, you have to repeat yourself. So pay attention if you're reading through Scripture and a pattern is repeated. Another thing you can do is you can explore metaphors. Obviously, Jesus is not saying that he is bread, literally. But he is saying that he is a kind of bread for people, and he's inviting them to taste and embrace him because he can satisfy them in a way that bread doesn't. Now, I know for some of us this is a hard passage because you're gluten-free. There probably weren't a lot of gluten-free people in the first century in Palestine. And I know sometimes in our world we're like, hey, I'm cutting down on carbs to watch my figure. Again, that's not part of this world. See, everywhere in the world today, people are being sustained by bread. They might call it a scone or a baguette. They might call it a tortilla. They might call it pasta. They might call it maize or rice or noodles. But in all of those places, people are being sustained by bread. So Jesus grabs this ready metaphor and he invites people to engage him and embrace him the way they would bread. Now, we know this, that to eat something 
is to embrace it. When you eat something, you give it complete access to yourself. You regret this when you get food poisoning. You regret this when you eat something that you probably shouldn't. When it's 9.30 at night and you have that pang of hunger and you go for something and at 11.30 you wished you had a banana instead, you gave that food full access to who you are. And Jesus is saying, I want you to embrace me the way that you would embrace bread. Another thing you can do when you're observing a passage is you can make connections. And there was a reference here in the passage to a connection in the Old Testament. In verse uh, 49, Jesus says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. If you're unfamiliar with the Old Testament, there was a period of 37 years where the people of Israel wandered in the desert. And they were given food every morning by these wafers that would come down from heaven and cover the ground. They literally were called manna, which means what is it? Because they'd never seen this kind of bread before, but it was a, a kind of wafer, a kind of bread that had a little bit of a honey taste. They would collect it every morning. And when I was working on this message, I, I saw a chart by commentator Warren Wearsby that just made some really cool connections that I want to share with you. This is for all of you nerds in the room. So he connects what happens here with the Old Testament manna and Jesus, the bread of life. He says this manna, it met their physical need temporarily. It, it fed them every morning, but they needed more the next day. Yet Jesus comes as the bread of life, and he wants to meet their spiritual need eternally. What does Matthew 6.35 say? I will, I will give you bread, and you will never be hungry again. So he's not saying, hey, this is a bread that you eat once, and you never have to eat again. He's saying this is a, this is a spiritual need I'm going to meet. The manna sustained their physical life. Yet Jesus, as the bread of life, he's looking to impart us eternal life that begins now and carries on even after our death. The manna was for one nation, Israel. Jesus, as the bread of life, is for the whole world. He says in John 6.51 that he is the living bread for all people. The manna only lasted 38 years in the wilderness, and yet Jesus, as the bread of life, has been for all humanity from Adam to the end of time. The manna didn't cost God anything to make. When Jesus comes as the bread of life, it costs him a great cost. His life on the cross. The manna only delayed physical death. And yet the bread of life, Jesus, conquers spiritual death. With the manna, God sent a gift. With Jesus, God sent the giver of all gifts. So when you study scripture, it's important to pay attention to the connections that you see. And if something is mentioned there, it's like, huh, that reminds me of something else. Go and explore that. Another thing you need to do when you read Scripture is look for Jesus. All of Scripture points to Jesus. It's either Jesus talking, like it's John 6 here. If it's before Jesus came, it's pointing to Jesus. And if it's after Jesus has resurrected and gone back to heaven, it's pointing back to what Jesus did. As I was reading through this passage and going through this process, a passage came to mind for me. And I was like, I'm not sure I know what that is. Just so you know, it happens to me too. Like, I know it's in the Bible somewhere, but I don't know where. And that's where my friend Google helps me out. And so Isaiah 55 says, Come everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, you without silver, come buy and eat. Now I just want you to make sure that you don't miss this. If you don't have silver, which was the, the financial currency of the day, and yet you're going to come buy and eat, this must be a different kind of transaction. And he says, Come buy wine and milk without silver, 
and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. What the prophet was saying in advance of Jesus' coming was so often we spend literally our livelihoods on things that don't satisfy us eternally. Now, I'll be honest, sometimes things do satisfy us temporarily. You buy something, it feels good. You go out and have a meal, it tastes good. You get a promotion at work or a raise at work or you enter a relationship or you have a connection or you go on a trip and those are good experiences. And they satisfy you. But they only satisfy you temporarily. And over time, it takes more trips. Over time, it takes more raises. Over time, it takes more relationships. Over time, it takes more shopping. And you know that you are trying to satisfy yourself in the wrong place when it's taking more and more and more and more to fill that need. And Jesus comes and says, I've come to satisfy that need eternally. I give you everything I have, and what you have there is enough. The final thing I'd encourage you to do when you're observing is to ask questions. I know sometimes we get the sense that we shouldn't ask questions. I, I know that some of us have been in churches where it felt like you had to check your brain at the door. I hope that's never this church. You should ask questions. Even if they raise discomfort. When you're reading Scripture, you should go, hey, why does it say that? Or how does this make sense? Or how do you reconcile that? You should use your brain. God gave it to you. And one of the questions that came to me, just personally as I was reading this, is this. What bread am I looking to for life? What is my source of life? Now, I happen to like bread. My wife and I have started making, i sorry, my wife has started making, I have started eating, well, let's get this, this correct, um, a sourdough, and so we have a sourdough starter, and we're making sourdough on a regular basis, and so I love turning that into avocado toast, it's delicious. But I'm not talking about that kind of bread. The bread is in quotes. Where are you looking for life today? What is it that you think, if you could just get that, you would be safe and secure and okay. What are you holding out for? What are you longing for? One way to figure this out is to pay attention when you're stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed. What do you look to do to make you feel better? Now, those aren't all bad things. Sometimes you're like, man, I just need to go for a run. Or I just need to go for a ride. I just need to go and talk to this person or I need to go and have this experience. But sometimes what happens is we look to the things that God has given to give us what only God can give. And there's a difference between I'm going to go for a run and I'm going to ask God to help me clear my mind while I go on that run versus I'm going to look to running to give me what only God can give. And you know the difference when you're looking to that thing or you're looking to God to use that thing. And you know that in your heart. And so for me this week, I made a list of some things that I've been looking to for life. And some things that I've been making other than God, the source of life for me. Which is what led me to the next step. A is application. So at Cornerstone, we typically call these next steps. But when you're studying through Scripture, you have to always ask yourself, what's my next step? 
James 1.22 tells us, don't just read God's Word. Don't just be hearers of God's Word. Be doers of God's Word. That's why we devoted a whole message today to helping equip you with this method. Because I don't just want you to come and hear seven sermons, or if you're the average church-going American, three sermons. I want you to dig in for yourself. I want to equip you. So here's some next steps you could take this week. Number one, pay attention to where you look for relief when you're stressed. Like I just said, this week, you're going to have a moment when you feel anxious, worried, stressed, overwhelmed. So pay attention in that moment going, where am I naturally like gravity being pulled to something to give me relief? Oh my gosh, I don't know how Amazon.com got opened. I don't know, where, I don't know what happened. I'm at this store, or I'm at this restaurant, or I'm at this bar, or I'm texting this person. Where do you look for relief? Secondly, when you see bread this week, this is even for you people who aren't eating the bread, you're going to see the bread. Pause and say, Jesus, you are my source of life. So if you're in a grocery store and you walk through the bread section and there's 57 kinds of bread, and you're thankful that you live in a world where you can have 57 kinds of bread, Maybe you walk past the bread section in your kitchen where all the bread is kept. Or you get a sandwich brought to you at a restaurant. Just pause and say, Jesus, this bread is not the source of my life. You are the source of my life. You are the bread of my life. And you satisfy me eternally. For some of you, this could be like a three times a day, you know, experience. For others, you maybe a couple times, but just use bread as a prompt. I'd encourage you to attend each week in this series. I joked earlier, but the stats show that even before COVID, the average American who goes to church only attended 1.7 times a month. And so I'd encourage you to be with us every week to get the most out of it. If for some reason you're traveling, like next week is spring break, we've got a couple resources for you. We have a podcast. So if you podcast, you can find us. Whatever your podcast app is, just search for Prescott Cornerstone. If you're like... Is that like fishing, Scott? Just don't worry about that. It's not for you. Just go online, watch prescottcornerstone.com slash sermons. We have messed up about 24 hours after the service is over. Then I'd encourage you to start the reading plan tomorrow. Even if you've read through John before, I'd encourage you to, to read through it again. The Bible is not a book we ever exhaust. When I was in seminary, I read a quote from a rabbi said, The Bible is like a diamond. If you hold it up to the light, you can see a thousand different facets. The Bible is not a book that we master. We seek for the Bible to be a book that masters us. And so I'd encourage you, start the plan tomorrow. Again, if you're watching online, you can get it at prescottcornerstone.com slash resources. And then another thing you can do is you can start a soap journal. You could buy a journal. It doesn't matter what kind. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Moleskine's or the Lectrum journals. I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to journals. But you could just get a $5 one at Target or Walmart and start every day doing soap, scripture, observation, application, and pee, which we'll talk about in a second. You could do that. We've given you a resource if you want to learn more about soap. You can go to prescottcornerstone.com slash soap. Not going to buy any body wash there, but you will see how you can study the Bible. 
hope that you'll lean in to this. And then finally, probably not a surprise, the P is prayer. You pause and say, Jesus, help me to live out what I just saw. Jesus, help me to see this word you've given me at work in my life. Jesus, help me to look to you as my source of life and not anything else. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have today and this week to step back and say, where am I looking for life? What am I looking to, to draw from, to sustain me, to carry me? Jesus, we confess there are places in our lives where we have looked to the things that you have made instead of you as the one who made them for life. And we pray that in this season, as we start to prepare for Easter, we pray that our attention and affection would turn to you and that we would look to you and find our life in you and you only. I pray you'd be with us over the next 30 or 40 days as we read through John together. I pray that you'd change us, you'd transform us, you'd make us more like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray.